I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land In Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, we are welcoming back, uh, I mean, an old friend would be not doing this gentleman the service that he deserves. One of the pillars of Land Grant Holy Land history, the man who used to hold down these very podcast waves, the one and only Colton Denning. Colton, man, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Matt. Whenever I get to go back to a to a certain place, whether it be a podcast or like a place I've moved from, to know that I'm still welcomed means I haven't oh. burned any bridges. And that's <laughs> that's always a nice feeling because I burned a couple and to yeah. know that this one is still standing is is great. Yeah, yeah, uh, I am with you on having burned bridges, but this one is always <laughs> open for you. Um, we are so happy to have you back and we could, you know, we've been talking about you and I've been talking about bringing you back for a podcast episode at some point this season, but I figured the, the best time to do it was in rivalry week as we're getting ready to face off against Michigan, because some of the best content that I ever saw you put out was during Michigan week, whether that was on podcasts or on the site, do you have a favorite Michigan game memory, whether it's from your time at Land Grant Holy Land or just as a fan in general. Oh man, to, to it's so hard, and I'm sure it is for everybody else because they've just they've kicked Michigan's ass so much over the last 20 years. And this this yeah. era has been when I've you know I'm 30 years old, so by the time you know 2001 hit, those are the games that I really remember. And so this is the golden era for any fan that's my age. And you know it, it's hard to pick one. But if there's one that kind of always stays with me and it's one that's kind of off the beaten path was 2005 when they had that fourth quarter comeback. And a lot of the games, you know, recently haven't been as close as we've seen the last couple of years. But a game like that, I think really, when you go back and look, kind of shifted the dynamics of the rivalry, I think, as much as that 2001 game did. And that's where it was like, okay, these guys might be just really dominating them at this point. So I I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's one that just always kind of stands out in my mind. And, and, and last year's game too. I I love last year's game. And I think that game is going to age really, really well. Yeah. That 2005 game, I was actually, that was the year I worked for the big 10 and it was the year we were doing the um, the pilot program for instant replay. It was the the year when we were first developing instant replay. So I was sitting, I watched the game in the big 10 war room, so to speak with the former director of officials, Dave Perry. And I had to like not be a fan while I was there, but that was really <laughs> hard, but um, still a great memory. So it was a great game. So I'm glad you picked that one. But what's weird about talking right now during Michigan week is the fact that we don't actually know if there's going to be a game between Ohio state and, in Michigan this weekend. 
with all of the stuff going on with COVID, both with Ohio State and across college football, um, I just kind of wanted to get your sense of where you feel this season is. Has this been worth it? Has it been a success? I mean, I think like a quarter of the games have been canceled at this point. Don't quote me on the numbers, but it's close to that. Like over 100 games, 120 games have been canceled or postponed. What's your sense as to what this grand experiment of playing football in the middle of a pandemic has brought? It's hard because on one hand, like just all of you had so much time. Everybody had so much time to kind of digest this. And for me, the biggest disappointment is that, and it's not a surprise, but that the conference couldn't, the conferences couldn't get on the same page and have, you know, an overlying plan or just like, Hey, we, we need to work together in, in some fashion to make sure that level playing field isn't the right word, but just kind of that we're all doing the same thing. And everybody just didn't do that at all. And that that's been, kind of what my biggest disappointment yeah. with the season has been. And I was on the avenue of, I, I threw my hands up in like April or May where I was like, okay, this is going to be a thing that lasts into next year. If they don't play a season, it's, it's going to suck. It's going to crush me, but it, it was just like, it is what it is. And that's kind of how I felt for the whole season. And that doesn't mean that I, I'm not really enjoying it because I am, but for me, it's just when whether it was those canceled uh, that canceled Maryland game and then the prospect of kind of the whole season for Ohio State just slipping through the cracks. It was like, what what can we do at this point? It's it's really in nobody's control. And so when they play, it's it's awesome. And I love it. And I think that people like us and fans who have been a little bit more cautious and been on that side of it also need to understand the perspective of the players and the coaches like, Hey, this is, this is my living. I want to get out there and I want to play. And, you know, I, I hope and think that most of them have been doing it safely. So it's just like everything else. It's just, it's just hard to kind of get super duper invested. I will say that, that I'm not as invested this year as I've been in years past. And sure. like, if they don't, if they don't win the national championship this year, I don't think I'll ever go back and watch really any of the games from this season unless you know they they played this Michigan game and they trounce them and they play in the playoff and beat Clemson or something it's just one of those seasons I think where if your team doesn't win the national championship then you can just be like okay uh, we don't have to really remember that season at all but like if they go and win it all then yeah it's a national oh, championship yeah. there's no there's no asterisk to it so it's I've just thrown up my arms and just like whatever happens happens I, I'm of the opinion that it's slightly different. I think there will be an asterisk with this season, but I think the asterisk will actually be that this is harder to win this national championship than any other because of all the extra crap that teams are going to have to deal yeah. with. I, I just think it's it's such a Herculean effort just to get through this season. And obviously, the Big Ten has different criteria than the ACC and the SEC and everybody else. And I'm with you. Like I, I mean, I guess as I mentioned, I worked for the Big Ten, so I shouldn't be surprised that the Big Ten went off and did whatever the hell it wanted all on its own because that's what they do. Um, but I was, I just assumed the entire time that the Power Five conferences. We're going to get together and make a plan that everybody was comfortable with, and they were going to do that together, and they didn't. And uh, that's what's gotten us into the situation where we have to worry about whether or not Ohio State's going to play enough games to be eligible for not only the Big Ten title game, but the playoff itself. It's just, it's, it's just dumb and a lack of leadership, but that's beside the point. But you said that you are still enjoying this game, and I saw on your 
highly watchable Twitter fleets, <laughs> which post game you have to go over to Colton's uh, Twitter, which we will plug mercilessly at the end of the show. But you talked about the fact that like that Michigan State game that happened on Saturday, like that was, I think, the most enjoyable game of the season. And I'm not certainly not going to argue with uh, with you on that. But is there anything from that game that you think we can actually take away? Because, you know, Sparty isn't very good this year. No, they're not. And I think I said that in the fleets was like, don't be don't be fooled by what that win over Northwestern was last week for them, because it really it's not it wasn't a surprise to see Northwestern drop a game like that. Um, it, it's hard to uh, no, I, I can't say that. No, I'm taking away a lot of stuff. Maybe the one thing is that I, I think the uh, the front seven and the defensive line, especially I know they they've yeah. caught some heat for not getting after the quarterback, but I really feel like they've stepped it up. I think Zach Harrison slowly, but surely is, is starting to, you're starting to see it a little bit. You're starting to see him not think as much out there and get around the edge. Uh, Tyreek, Tyreek Johnson. Why I always, yeah, Tyreek Smith. Smith, I always confuse the two of them. Uh, that was his best game. And so I, I thought that you, you look at the outside of the pass rush and those guys are starting to play a little bit better. And then really the unsung heroes for the team this year have been those interior defensive so linemen, good. whether it's yeah. Haskell Garrett or Tommy Togia. It was awesome to see them get rewarded with a touchdown. But those two dudes have have really been controlling the uh, the, the middle of the opposing offensive lines. And I think that that's set up for Ohio state's linebackers. Like all things considered, I, I think that they've, they've uh, played well, they've played uh, better. What? I, yeah, I can't I'll believe I that. just heard Even, that. I, I think Pete Warner has been yeah, legitimately been good this year, and I, I think that Tough Borland's been fine. I, I still think that <laughs> that's high they, praise they, coming from you. Coming from yeah, you, Tough Borland's been fine is like a glowing five star recommendation. And I, I think that their biggest flaw, or maybe his biggest flaw this year, has been you know there's really just no place on the field for him when they play teams that are going to go four and five wide. And that's not a a knock on him. And they still, for some reason, were running a little bit of four, three against Michigan state, even when he wasn't playing. And and that just seems to be a kind of design flaw with what Kerry Coombs wants to do right now. So I I think the more that they can get out of three linebacker sets, that's where they're going to have success. But at this point, like they've shown that they're not really willing to do that. So maybe it just is what it is. But yeah, I, f- I feel like all things considered, Tough Borland has played about as well as he can this year. Yeah. And again, it's been weird because they really haven't had a whole lot of marquee games. And he did kind of get exposed a bit in the one game against a quality opponent, which was Indiana. But I gotta tell you, I loved what I saw on on Saturday with Tough out. And we don't know when he's going to be back. We don't know if he tested positive or if he's out for uh, contact tracing or whatever, but moving Baron Browning back inside, which he kind of alternated with tough last year in the middle, having him play more inside um, and then having him on passing downs move outside, having Dallas Gant in the middle. Like, I I think like that's something that could be doable um, moving forward. I liked that. I also liked a little bit of what I saw on the back end. You are, as far as I'm concerned, the founder of the Sean Wade Hive. Um, he's had an interesting year. Like he's had an up and down year. It hasn't been as seamless a transition from slot corner to outside corner as, um, as I think a lot of people assumed he had an unbelievably athletic interception, uh, against Michigan state, but it wasn't necessarily like a great play on the ball. Like it was just a bad throw. So where, what are your thoughts on 
Sean Wade's development and then him fitting into the bigger picture that is kind of a wonky secondary, which isn't something we get a whole lot from Ohio State in recent years. Yeah, we're so spoiled, I think, is yeah. is the main thing with the secondary that they've just been able to cycle guys in and out. And it's not like they're just, oh, yeah, that guy was a good player. Like they are cycling these top 10, yeah. top pros. five in some yeah. cases, you know, draft picks into the NFL. And at some point, like I don't care who you are, it's you're going to have to develop. And there's going to be a little bit of a hitch where it's going to be like this year where it's Sean Wade and then a group of really young guys. And in this case, Sean Wade wanted to move from slot to outside. And I think, you know, honestly, that eventually when when he does get to the NFL, I think that whoever takes him is just going to say, look, man, you're you're an inside corner and not that we think you're a bad outside corner by any means, but like you are so good on the inside. You are so good on the slot and you can do so many things that that's your bread and butter. And if you're one of the best corners in the league in that position, you're going to get paid either way. So I think that right now they're kind of just putting a, a, a square into a circle for, for lack of a better term. And it's not like he's been bad, but there there have been plays where it just kind of seems like he, he seems like he's out of his element and he wants to be on the outside. But I think he is, he's really a, a great player on the inside. So it's been a little bit weird. And I, I did feel like when the ball was in the air on Saturday against Michigan State, that was the first time where I felt comfortable and, and saw guys like a, a seven banks made at least one play on the ball where I was yeah. like, okay, they're, they're knocking balls down. Like this is the, you're seeing the growth and it's been really slow this year and it's been frustrating for a lot of the season. But I, I think you're slowly starting to see that development for some of these, some of those younger guys. And this is like the worst season to have to have a ton of replacements in that secondary, because not yeah. only are you having Kerry Combs come back, kind of completely rejigger how he coaches the secondary from Jeff Halfley last year. But then you had no spring ball. You didn't have the summer workouts where you can all be together. The fall camp was bizarre. So like this was really just a culmination of a ton of like the worst case scenarios for the secondary to where, I mean, it's hard to, for, it's hard to remember that they've only played five games. Like that's normally yeah. just the non-conference in like Indiana and I, I don't know, Maryland at the beginning of the season. Like it's weird to think they're getting ready for Michigan and they've barely even played what they wouldn't even have played half of what a regular season was. So I'm, I'm hoping that because of some of what we saw this past week and actually some of the what I saw against Indiana, that they can kind of make some of these tweaks moving forward. I think the fact that Ronnie Hickman is healthy and played pretty well uh, against Michigan State could be an answer again with guys that are out. We don't know how long they're going to be out. It could be they could be back this week. They could be back for the Big Ten championship game or champions weekend or whatever. So I'm hoping that we can still see some development that they're not a finished product yet. Because uh, they've still got time before they get to the playoffs. But let's move over to the other side of the ball. Like, we know, we like you talked about last year's game was incredible. Justin Fields is amazing. Uh, I don't know that we necessarily need to spend a ton of time on him. But what I do want to talk about is the fact that, like, they have two of, I think, I mean, it's tough for me to remember a pair of wide receivers in Ohio State history that are together that are as good as Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson because those two guys are, I mean, they're uncoverable. They're unstoppable, really. No, they're they're so enjoyable, and I think I, I said that in one of the fleets. And the only other group that I can really 
picture being on that level is when you had Santonio Holmes and Ted Ginn playing yeah. together in 2005 and for a lesser portion in, in 2004 when he was a freshman. But even then, you know, those Ted Ginn was developing in 2005. And then in 2006, you saw him and uh, Gonzalez. And that was I think that was really the two headed monster when you had those guys who were at that point fully developed players and such weapons for Troy Smith and that offense. But I, I don't know if I've seen a more enjoyable pair to, to watch at Ohio State. And I guess Terry Glenn and uh, Joey Galloway for the older fans. I think that they were they at least had some some overlap. But man, they're just they're so much fun to watch. And I think Olave is not underappreciated, but he doesn't yeah. he, he's he doesn't look like he's super fast. And so it gives this impression like, oh, he's a good route runner. He's a nice possession receiver. But I, I didn't think he played very well on Saturday and he had 10 catches for 139 yards <laughs> and a touchdown. That's that's how good he is. And, you know, you see the fumbles. And I think that that's something where it's just yeah. like a one year coincidence. I don't think Chris Olave is going to go around for the rest of his career fumbling eight times a season. But even then, he was able to work past that. And he had the, the beautiful touchdown catch where he just snagged the ball from that Michigan State corner. And then on the other hand, you have Garrett Wilson who is just a flash. It, it it looks like nobody can guard him, no matter who it is, yeah. no matter what corner you see. Like I, I really want to watch him against a Clemson secondary or against an Alabama secondary just to see a guy like Patrick Sertain at Alabama try to figure out what to do with him and how that matchup looks. But they're just they're so dynamic. And I think that it's a shame that Jamison Williams didn't get like a full offseason to develop because I think he's going to be one of those guys, too. And they all have such different skill sets that, you know, it's kind of pick your poison. And as a defense, what are you going to do not only against three great receivers, but three guys who bring something different to the table? You know, Chris Olave, it's ironic because Chris Olave is nothing like K.J. Hill. K.J. Hill was the slot, which is where Garrett Wilson is. But Chris Olave and K.J. Hill remind me a lot of each other in terms of the fact that, like, when you're done with a game, you look at the stats and you're like, wait, he did what now? Like, you don't recognize his greatness in the game, but you just realize after the like the game, he's just compiled so many catches and so many yards that his influence is all over the game, but it might not be all over your memory. And that's the kind of guy that Olave is for me, maybe because Garrett Wilson's had such a flashier season. Um, but I, the, the, watching those two guys is great. I, I'm with you, though. I would love to see Justin Fields start throwing the ball to some other guys and getting some other guys into uh, the rotation. But... So far, uh, so good. It's tough to complain about anything in the passing game. Uh, and it's five it's games. interesting. Sorry to sorry to cut you off, but no, I, no, no, I did no. see I did see um, there was a lot of talk about Fields and like oh he's only he's he, sometimes he just sticks on his first read and especially against Michigan State he kind of was open. just looking one yeah they were open and two I think that that was kind of their that was by design they kept things really really vanilla. Yeah. On Saturday, and if you look at the catch sheet, Olave had ten, Garrett Wilson had three, Fleming had two, and I think both of those were on those little pop passes yeah. where he just streaks by. And other than that, you know, Wyatt Davis had the catch, and then Trey Sermon had that he had that swing pass. So I, I think it was by design by Kevin Wilson and the staff. Like, okay, we need to get the ball to people we trust. Chris Garrett, 
you're getting the targets this week. And that's, that's how it shook out. And that's what they did. And, and they were able to have success. And, you know, Wilson only had three catches for 59 yards, but should have been about a hundred with that touchdown that they oh, called back. So I think there, there are worse game plans than just like, Hey, get the ball to Olave and Wilson and let them do their thing. Yeah. 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 I'm fine with, I mean, if that's the game plan for the rest of the season, like I'm fine with that. Uh, yeah. but, but, but like what you said, when you're, they're going up against better secondaries, I, I still think it'll be tough for any defense to completely shut down both of those guys. And that's what the beauty of having both of them is. Even if you bracket one of them, it's really going to be tough to to bracket both of them. And uh, I'm excited to see, hopefully, what that looks like when they, they play better competition. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Before they get to the playoff, before they get to that better competition, they have to face off against a Michigan Wolverines team in which... In a game in which Ohio State is apparently favored by 30. Uh, I I mean, that's you're right. You laughed like that's funny in and of itself. It's the biggest spread in the game's history. I believe I saw Doug Maurice sent out a message that said Michigan's only been favored by 11 and a half. That's their biggest. Like this is just an absolutely absurd number. Uh, we don't know if this game is actually going to happen. Obviously, Buckeye fans always love beating the crap out of Michigan. I f- kind of feel like Harbaugh's a lame duck coach uh, for the rest of this season. Um, I don't know that he's back next year, so it would be really nice to send him off with another loss. But in the grand scheme of things, like, does beating Michigan matter this year? Or would it be better if Ohio State actually got a different Big Ten opponent that actually could give them a little bit more street cred when it came to the college football playoff committee? I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question. And I think for me, I, I always want to see them play yeah. Michigan. And if it's, if it's just not possible this year, then, hey, it's not possible. But I don't think that that's the worst thing because you look around at all these rivalries in college football and it's just like any other college football game. For the most part, if you have more talent, you're probably going to win. Ohio State's had way more talent than Michigan in recent years, and that's a big reason of why they won. But they've also won these games, I think, because the mentality has been to never let up against Michigan. I mean, that's the most impressive thing about this run is that it's not like Michigan has been Rutgers during this time. And so you you have a team who continues to dominate the rivalry, but they still make it a bigger deal than Michigan does. They haven't taken their foot off the gas. And maybe just as this is my psycho brain working, but like if there's a year off, that gets them to the point where they're like, damn, we didn't we were going to crush those guys and it didn't happen. And you go into next year's game you know, even more refreshed and ready to go. Like we need to kill these guys because we didn't get the opportunity. So I don't know if that would be their mindset, but I don't think it would be the the worst thing in the world. And even like the Herb Street thing that he took back <laughs> last week, where it's like, oh, they're ducking them. I hope they duck them because then they can do use that. Like these guys didn't want to play us last year. And it's obviously not that, but it does set up like a funny mentality thing of like, all right, these guys didn't play last year. Like, we're going to whip their ass even harder this year. So, uh, you know, I hope it gets played. I, it's I'm not optimistic 
about it or anything. But if they don't, then hopefully there's a, a suitable replacement, whether that's Maryland or, or someone else. Yeah, with the way that things are going in Minnesota, like I I would not be surprised if their game got canceled. And I don't even remember who they're, they're set to play. But I, I think that the Big Ten is ready, willing and able to reconfigure schedules to make sure that Ohio State gets a game against somebody they haven't played yet this season, which would be very helpful in their uh, pursuit of a Big Ten championship, which it's not obviously the ultimate goal, but like this would be their fourth in a row. Like, I think that's still a big deal. Like that still matters. Um, so I'm hoping they get the chance, but there are bigger fish to fry for this Buckeye team. And that's really why they fought so hard to get back on the field this year. And that is one, hopefully getting some revenge on Clemson, but two, more importantly, hopefully winning the national championship. And I went into this season thinking Ohio State had the best shot because I there were some things that I assumed would happen that didn't. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the secondary and even the running game a little bit. But you watch as much college football as anyone. You break down clips and highlights and you put them on your YouTube channel. So like you know what's out there. When it comes to the other teams that are probably going to be in the college football playoff, Alabama, I think, is a lock already. Um, I think Notre Dame, unless they get destroyed in the ACC championship game, is probably a lock already. Then Clemson, maybe even Florida. I I don't think Texas A&M has a shot. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think Cincinnati has a shot. But of the teams that are in that discussion, how do you think Ohio State ranks up or how do you think they size up with those other teams? The one game I'd feel really good about, and not because I, I don't think they're a good team, but that I just think they don't have the athletes to match up with Ohio State is Notre Dame still. And that, right, that yeah. defense is salty. Ian Book makes a ton of plays. They have weapons on the outside. But for four quarters, I, I just don't see Notre Dame being able to hang with them. Clemson and Alabama, obviously, a little bit different story. If they had to play those teams today, uh, they'd lose. I, I don't think that they would get destroyed. I don't think that they would get run out of the building or anything. But with the way the defense is played, not just like the prospect of having to cover Devontae Smith or, and, and everything else Alabama has and all of the weapons that Clemson has, but it goes back to what we talked about with kind of how the defense is being set up right now. If, if they try to play three linebackers against either of those teams – uh, you know, yeah. you're going to have to score 50 points and I feel capable or comfortable that Ohio state, if they need to get into a shootout with somebody, one of those teams this year, they can do it. But you know, if you're going to have to get into the, the low to mid fifties to win those games, I, I don't like the prospects very much, but the, the good news is that they don't have to play either of those teams next Saturday. That's yeah. where I think they, they can continue whether it's against Michigan against Maryland or whoever and then hopefully in the Big Ten championship game or whatever happens that champions weekend, hopefully they have two more real solid opponents to go up against to continue to work, to continue to get better. And then you have that practice time leading into the college football playoff where you can you know use that to get a little bit better and refine what you're going to do. So if they had to play next Saturday, I would feel really, really scared. I'd still feel really scared playing Alabama or Clemson. And I think that they're just a notch below that level because they're not a complete football team right now. But as we've seen with this offense and the weapons that we just talked about, they can match up with anybody. So I I think they would lose both of those games, but you give them time to prepare and you get these young players a little bit more game action, then, hey, it's all bets are off the table. And if we've seen anything with the Ohio State program, that if, if they go into a game and there's a little bit of doubt like there was this past week or, you know, there's there's that underdog mentality. I think that that's stuff that 
they can really feed off of because they're, they're not that. They're the big dog always. But when you go into a game against Alabama or Clemson and everybody's like, eh, your defense is going to get run off the field. I, I like the mentality of all these guys and these coaches to, to be able to get up for games like that. Yeah, I, I do too. I mean, and I would love for Ohio State to only have to play Clemson or Alabama, not Clemson and Alabama. That would make me feel a lot more confident about their <laughs> chances to win. But I don't know. I mean, the only way that I think that actually happens is if Notre Dame beats Clemson in the ACC championship game and then Ohio State is number three and, and Notre Dame's number two. Like, I can't see Clemson winning that game and Notre Dame staying. I mean, there's no way that Ohio State would match up with Notre Dame. So I'm pulling for Notre Dame to knock Clemson out, and then Ohio State can play Notre Dame and then Alabama. That's my that's my hope. Not not feeling super good about that, but uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. But um, all right, Colin, I want to get you out on on this question. We have seen uh, this team go through a lot this season. There's been ups and downs from before the season even started you said that unless they win the national championship game this isn't a season necessarily that you are going to go back and watch a ton of these games and as we've all watched them I think that's very fair at least thus far but what do you think you have learned about the Ohio State program um, as a whole not just this collection of guys but the program as a whole from what they've been through this season both on and off the field and how they've responded because I I I think that that this has taught us more about an Ohio State team in five games than we would ever learn during a regular season. So what I'm interested to hear what you think you've learned about this program and this group of guys from this really unbelievably weird bonkers season. I think we've gotten our confirmation that Ryan Day is the guy that he it is stamped 100 yeah. percent. It is his program and it's not something where uh you know you, you look at it and it's like oh well the, the only reason they won last year is because it was his first year and they still had all the talent from the urban meyer era and of, of course of course they were good he had been around you know he knew what he was doing with everything that's gone on on the field off the field with covid with social justice uh with just with everything in 2020 you can see and you have seen around the country and in the Big Ten yeah. some other programs and not because, you know, the coaches are bad, but it's just it, life stuff gets in the way, it's especially this year. Yeah, it's it's really, really hard. And so as fun as it is to bag on Penn State or Michigan, I I think that I'm one of those people that was like, well, eh, it, it's kind of a wash this year. Like if you really if you really tanked, like it just is what it is. Like it's it's going to happen <laughs> this year. But the fact that Ryan Day has really cemented himself as the leader of the program and kind of that guy for the future, I think. Not that I had any doubts of that, but that just reinforced it in my mind that like, okay, he's he's up for this. He he's not just somebody who got this job and was a great play caller. Like we we've seen we had questions like how how well was he gonna recruit? Would he be able to sustain that? They've not only sustained it, yeah. they've taken it up to a new level. Time will tell whether that's you know, can be a three, four, five year trend, but man, early returns uh, have me really, really excited. And I think he's really put his stamp on what he's going to be as the leader of the program. Yeah. I, I think uh, that's exactly the same answer that I would have. I think there's so much of this about taking over a program like Ohio state, where sometimes you can like feel like you're drinking out of a fire hose and there's just so much that's like coming at you at once. And he seems to have just about handled it as perfectly as you can up to the point where he is actually 
quarantined because he tested positive for COVID and he still seems like he has his finger on the pulse of the program. Um, and I think it would be, we, we need to mention the fact that Larry Johnson uh, became the first black head coach uh, for Ohio State for one week. Uh, I think that's awesome. I, I, no more deserving guy. He's been through a ton in his career and in his life. And the fact that he is the man to lead Ohio State this past week. Uh, great guy. Great dude. He's done so much for Ohio State. And I'm glad that he had that moment to get that Gatorade bath on Saturday. Yeah. And I think it, it, it goes to show how seamless that transition has been from Meyer today that a guy like Larry Johnson or a guy like Kerry Combs can come back to the staff or in Johnson's case, stay on. And you have another guy who, who gets the head job and that respect level doesn't diminish. And yeah. then when day gets out, it goes to a guy like Johnson, who if you read anything about Larry Johnson, that's probably the word that comes to my mind more than anything is just the respect that people have mm-hmm. for him and, and for him to get that mantle and, and to be able to be the one that did that is, is really, really cool. And that was, that was a fun, that not a fun, I mean, it was fun, but it was, <laughs> it was an awesome thing to see and uh, nobody more deserving than him. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. Well, uh, before we let you go, Colton, do you want to let people know if they don't remember where you are on social media, can you let people know where they can follow you and all of your fleets? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Dubsco. That's D-U-B-S-C-O. I, I'm trying to keep it a little more light this season. I don't know if I'm <laughs> succeeding, but I and I keep most of my postgame Ohio State thoughts in uh, in fleet so you can hear me hooting and hollering about that as I drink Coors Light and you can look at my magnificent, oh. very well-brushed and soft <laughs> beard that i've been growing out for the last six months or so oh, it's, but it's uh glorious. yeah it's glorious people can interact they can interact with me on there um follow my youtube channel youtube.com slash colton denning i usually have the uh the ohio state highlights up like within minutes after after the games i had the justin fields highlights and whenever olave or wilson goes off i i throw them up there as well and then just general college football highlights up there too so we're, we're about great. to be in the off season so like people are going to need some time to kill so youtube.com slash colton denning <laughs> colton thank you so much for uh, for doing this and also thank you for keeping that gif of justin fields's face on <laughs> elmo's body uh, uh, alive. What did you use that last year? Right? Is that where it came from? Yeah, that started. That started like mid uh, last year, I think. Yeah, so good. All right. Well, you can also follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at Land Grant Thirty Three. You can follow me at BWW Matt. And of course, if you are finding this episode on the website, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We are bringing you a different podcast episode every single day, pretty much of the college football season, whether you like it or not. So, thank you everybody for listening, Colton. Thank you for being here, everybody. We will talk to you soon, and as always, go Bucks. 